shooting last night, shooting next weekend, and your pastor shoots pistol, rifle, and shotgun in, in three-gun competition. Don't worry, we're all good. And, but we enjoy some good competition in this church, I can tell you. You know what? Speaking about competition, well, it's not really competition, but this week, uh, actually last week, my, some of you have been asking me about um, one of the members of my family, Helen. And she had a beautiful baby daughter. And I think, Chris, have we got a shot over here? She is. <laughs> Little Eva. She was seven pounds, four ounces, number two. And so it's an absolute delight. That young lady, though, she's snoozing and my daughter isn't. She slept for a five-hour stretch last night. I had a, snoo- I had a, had a snack and then back for another five hours. Unbelievable. I said, man, that girl's lucked out. So this church is about family. We are a family church. And if you're visiting today, we want to say welcome. We're glad that you came. And if you're not visiting, no matter what, I'd encourage you to take out your outlines because today, whether you are a grandpa or a grandma, whether you're a mum and dad or whether you're a teenager, this message will be very useful for you, whether you're single as well. And I want to talk today, I've titled this message, Family ID, building off last night in families. Because I've noticed in the last year, especially, in fact, the last four years, there's been pressure on to changing the definition of family. And many forces are trying to change that in this thing today. Some voices are even saying family, as has been traditionally known, is out of date. Some are trying to say it's irrelevant now. It's a thing of the past. But today, friends, I want to say to you clearly, family is not finished but it does need strengthening. It needs strengthening. Grandparents, listen to this. You can add value here. Parents, you can add value here. Single people, you can add value here. Now, I don't know whether you've ever noticed, but if you ever watch that thing called TV, which most of us don't do much more, but it's still around, so I'm just covering that in case. Family is really portrayed positively in the media. It's really portrayed as happy, Nowadays, there are all kinds of aberrations passed off as, quote, family. So what I want to look at today is not what the culture really says about family. I want to go back and focus on what the Bible, God's Word, has to say about family to get it really clear. Because I don't know about you, I often, I'm one of these weird guys that reads the manuals. If I get a new tool or a new gun or something like that, I read every dot and tittle, everything I read. So I'm going to go today back to the owner's manual who created family, go back to creation and see what the family is all about. Let's refresh our minds this morning with Genesis 2 and verse 18, starting there. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Therefore, now notice this, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Two things, a couple of quick things straight up the get-go. Notice that getting together, man and woman, to be united, as he's in other places, in one flesh, was God's idea. So it will always be around because God's ideas don't change like the culture of the day, which is very fickle. Secondly, God made Adam in a perfect environment. Perfect. And he said it was good on the first and second day. It was good. And third, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. 
Yet also God said, the only one thing he said it was not good. He said, it is not good for man to be alone. Interesting. Everything else was spot on. But this one thing he lacked. Now that's true whether you're married or single. People are made for people. We need relationships. Men, did you hear that? (laughs) Women kind of get that real quick. But sometimes men, I was speaking to one at length over the last few days, who for some reason doesn't think he needs anybody else. He's a self-sufficient, self-made man. And I've often seen that self-made men tend to worship their own creator, which is themselves, and they end up falling flat in their face. So whether you're married or not, the point is you need some very deep relationships and caring people in your life. Because you may be feeling all strong now, but as sure as eggs, as life goes, there are times when your legs will be taken out from under you. Man was not made to be alone, so God created a family. Then he looked, and when he did that, he said, now it's good. Now it's good. I'm happy with that. So what's a family for? And that's the title of today's message. 30 years ago, teenagers, I would never have had to say, even bring the subject up. It was assumed Everybody knew what a family was for. And many people today have no idea what a family is for. In fact, for many people, I can summarise the need or what a family is for in two words. Bed and breakfast. That's it. It's a simple economic necessity. It's a way station between sleep and breakfast. And God says, no, no, no. There is so much more for His plan for our families. So much more. So what is a family for? First thing, a family is designed by God to be a shelter, a safe place in turbulent times, a shelter in storms. Because we all have storms in life. Storms are tough. Life's tough. And things, I don't know if you realise, don't go always as planned. They certainly don't go as I've always planned. And we need a place of protection. We need a place of stability. And we need a place of security. Proverbs 14.26 is this. Notice what it says. Reverence for the Lord gives a man deep strength. That means he can handle a jandal when the tough, you know, is getting tough out there. His children have a place because he's secure. His children can find security and a place of refuge. Why? Because reverence for the Lord, firstly, gives a man deep strength, which he can then share with his children. And his children then have a place of refuge and security. Circle refuge and security. And then just think a second. Firstly, as a young person who's about to be married, that is a goal for your family, to provide for your wife and for your children a place of deep security and refuge. And then you need to ask yourself if you are married and you have children, do your children have a place of refuge and security? Are you stable? Because the Lord stabilises our emotions. We're not thrown and tossed and blown away as easily as we were before. The Bible says that God created a family to be a shelter in the storm. Three kind of storms I've noticed that we face and sometimes can shake our world. The first one is a storm of change. And often change comes unexpectedly. And we all go through it. All of a sudden, we get that phone call from the doctor. 
after our blood test, I need to see you. That can shake your world. We have deaths. Some of you haven't experienced that yet, but they are part of life. We have very difficult jobs from time to time. That can shake you. All of a sudden, the company's been sold and your job's gone. We move. But there needs to be a place that no matter where the house is, there's a family that I know that I can count on. And when change comes, we need to have a place of shelter in the storm of change. Somewhere where we can find that security. Second, this is a storm that none of us like to face. It's a storm of failure. When we actually, you know what? We're not always winners in life like the All Blacks have been today. The score was decisive, but it was close. Could have gone on the way at one stage. Sometimes you lose. Sometimes those losses have deep implications and anxiety rises. You get turned down for that promotion you've given your life for. You get a flat refusal, entry into a position you wanted or a university. And you seem to be in a losing season or you go bankrupt. Somebody doesn't pay you, it may not have even been your fault. Somebody doesn't pay you, you can't pay your guys. Somebody slaps you. You're down. House, gone. In a twinkling. You know what though? You can handle a lot of failure in your life, at school, relationally, if you come home to hugs where there's shelter in a time of storm. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4.9, two are better than one. For if one of them falls down, the other one can help him up. But if somebody falls, if someone is alone, this is the problem. And falls, it's just too bad because no one had to help him. So family members, friends, in God's design are fans even when you're having a losing season. They keep on believing. And then there's a sh- the other shelter of the storm. And, that's, and this is probably, arguably, one of the most difficult. And this is the storm of rejection. We all hate to be rejected, put down, ridiculed, criticised. You know what? Some of the most obvious rejection that I've noticed in life happens when you're this size on a playground. I mean, kids can be very cruel. And if you don't believe in original sin, you just need to talk to a few teachers. <laughs> kids can be ruthless. And if you, know, if you didn't have a home to go to, to reinforce the positive in your life, not sugarcoating, but to reinforce the positive you can end up with a long-time, lifelong-lasting wound. So we need protectors in the storms when people put us down and reject us. See, in our home, we play a lot of board games. We always have, and we still do to this day. And the objective of a board game is to what? To get home safe. (laughs) Because when you're home, you are safe. Homes are meant for safety. They're a shelter from the storm, and... Even so much that you can be vulnerable in your home. It's safe to cry at home. That's what homes are for. They shelter from the storm where you can be real, no facade, no impression management going on, and be consoled, 
You can be comforted and you can be cared for. Now, many of you remember the pain as a teenager of breaking up. You may remember that. And when you go through that pit of rejection, you need a shelter in the storm. You need somebody who cares for you consistently. So, knowing that, what should my response be to this? My suggestion is that you simply demonstrate your love to your family. Demonstrate your love this week when they're going through a tough time. Well, you say, yeah, well, how do I do that? Well, if you've got little kids or even not so little kids, I'd suggest you do three things. One, you hear them out. You listen to them. Listen to their hurt. Not just what they're saying, but behind their words to their hurt. Listen to the hurt. And then do something which doesn't happen often today because of the velocity of our lives. You hear them and then you hug them. Don't just say a lot, just hug them. And then if there's some way that's obvious, help them out. So God meant homes to be shelters in storms. That's why divorce is so painful. Because a place of acceptance has become the place of rejection. The shelter from the storm becomes a source of the storm. That's why God says, I hate it when that happens. Have you ever... Been with some people and you knew things weren't right between the husband and wife and they keep having to go at each other in front of you. Have you been that? I have. I've been in that situation. I'm going, oh, get me out of here. I hate that. I really don't like it. It doesn't matter who's at fault here. I just don't like it when they're at each other. So God's ideal is that homes will be shelters from the storms of life. Secondly, this is important. Families are to be a learning centre for life. A learning centre for life. Do not take this lightly, young couples. You learn basic skills at home for life. How to walk, how to talk, how to count to 10, how to tidy up, how to maintain personal hygiene. How to be part of a team, not such an individualist. How to share. Remember, sharing is a big lesson. Huh? How to pull your weight around this place. Make your bed. Wash your own clothes. Tidy up after yourself. How to serve. How to make a meal for somebody else in the family. This is how you learn it and where you learn it. All of life's basic skills you learn at home. You learn values. You learn attitudes. You learn family traditions. Most importantly, you learn about God, who is the ultimate reality and is the most important thing you can ever do for your children and your grandchildren and your nieces and nephews and His Son, Jesus Christ. Psalm 144 verse 12 says, May our sons in their youth be like plants that grow up strong in a soil bed that's full of good nutrients. The Bible often compares a family to a garden. It's a place to grow people. And it's a place where people grow up. Now there's an interesting verse here in Ephesians 6 verse 4, directly addressing dads. It says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Don't exasperate them. Instead, so don't do that. On the other hand, do this. Bring them up. In two words, the training 
Quit laughing, mum. <laughs> and the instruction of the Lord. <laughs> Circle training and instruction. This is what a family is to do. This is part of our job responsibility given to us by our Creator. This is the way He designed it. Now, some have said that the bottom line in training your child is knowing which end to pat and knowing when to pat it. <laughs> when you're training your children, you want to take them through three clear stages. The first one is parental control. You need to get your kids under control. If you don't, the system will. And it's embarrassing, expensive, and very painful. So parents, it is your job to bring your children under control. Secondly, after they become under parent control, the second stage in growing mature children is to help them develop self-control. You do it because I told you to, and I do it, then you do it because you want to and you, you're under your own control. You put your own limits on. Before parents hold them back, no, 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 that's enough cookies. <laughs> now, where you want to transfer is growth is when they say, no, that's enough, I've had enough, thank you. So it's then their self-control. And then there's a third level which is beyond that. And that is God's control. Where their first thought is, Lord, is this pleasing to you? I want to do what you want. Now, God intends our families to be learning centers for life. There were three levels that I said there. You got those, right? Let's go to the learning centers for life. Four ways that Jesus grew, which are instructive to you and I, as parents, grandparents, children, singles, whatever. He grew four ways. First of all, in Luke 2.52, Jesus grew in wisdom. That is intellectual growth. Do not ever, as a Christian, minimize that. God gave you a brain. He expects you to use that. Be a good steward of it. Second, he grew in stature physically. It's good. And you learn these habits at home. No slouching around. Three, favour with God. That's spiritual growth. And then fourth, and favour with man. Sometimes I've seen people that are so good on a particular area, but they're terribly socially. They don't interact with others. They don't know how to get along without racking somebody up. Now the other, um, that ought to be the goal for your family, that your children, your grandchildren grow in four areas. Intellectually, spiritually, physically, and socially. Now we learn a lot of things from our families, but there are three things that I can guarantee you will not leave home without. And the first one is relationships. You are going to learn how to relate in your home with other people, for good or for bad, rightly or wrongly, effectively or ineffectively. And here's the imp implication for this. Listen carefully. Your happiness in life by and large, will depend on your ability to relate to other people. Parents, that is a tremendous responsibility. Grandparents, get, you get your basic training on this at home. And it's by osmosis. You don't say, sit down and have lesson number one. You do it by the way you uh, model. That's why it's so important that we learn to have good relationships in our home. And where children learn that even though we disagree, they learn, okay, mum and dad don't agree all the time. Has anybody noticed that? <laughs> but how do they resolve that? How do they disagree agreeably? And you teach them to learn when they disagree with each other, they don't punch each other out. No way. Dad, jump into that one straight away. 
No way. That's our limits. You learn to negotiate. My wife used to have, whoever was having a spat with each other, after we, they, weren't, they were never physical, but she'd, they were arguing about it. So she said, fine, that's fine, you guys. You obviously haven't solved it, so you two can go into that laundry and you can just sit there until you two solve it out. Don't solve all their problems for them. Let them negotiate. And when they come out, they can come out when they've come to an agreed solution. Teachers, negotiations can happen quickly then. It gets boring in the laundry. <laughs> okay, okay. There's a bit more give and take. But if you jump in all the time, they're not learning the skills to negotiate. Do not rescue your children all the time. Let them solve and feel the pain of their own stupidity and stubbornness in that laundry until it starts to break down a little. So, they also learn in your home how when they hear you to ask for forgiveness and say words like, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Even words like, I was only thinking of myself. If they hear that, they'll have some language in their head to use when their turn comes. So we need to model that as parents. Humility and asking for forgiveness. We do not want them to get into the mode of the Mexican standoff. Huh? Mother walks this way, father goes that way, and I'm not talking until she does. I'm not even bringing the subject up. Do not model that. Kids are great observers, poor interpreters. They need to see it second. The second thing you won't leave home with that is your character. Character is repeated patterns of behavior. Let me give you a definition for that. Repeated patterns of behavior. If somebody's working hard all the time, eventually you say, well, that person's a hard worker. That person's industrious. If a person's lazy all the time and repeatedly lazy, what do you call them? Well, they're lazy. You know, characters built up with repeated patterns of behavior. Character is caught, not taught. This is not theory 101. This is practice. Sometimes you'll have to clarify what you're doing. You don't tell, for example, here's a good one. It's impossible to tell your kids, be honest. How many told your kids, don't lie? Can I see your hands? Okay. okay, some of you have. Some of you need to come back for a second version of this. <laughs> don't lie, right? Ring, ring. Ring, ring. Oh, tell them I'm not here. Watch your actions, not what you say. Third thing you're going to leave home with are values. Values, values, values. Think of all the things we learn at home about work, how we bound work. You'd be concerned if your daughter was working every hour that God sent her neglecting her family or your husband or your son neglecting his wife, what are you doing to set that boundary to show them no relationships, especially with family, are paramount? And with God, or is God getting rushed out of your devotional schedule too? We learn things at work about uh, home also, about time management, about money, about what things get spent or not spent, how we save or whether we spend every dime we've got, which is unbiblical by the way. We learn about sex. Yeah, we'll come back to that a little later. We learn about what's really important. Uh, you know what? No, I'll do it now. You know how we learn about sex in our home? Forgetting the talks that go on. It's not one talk, it's many of them. Your kids learn about sex and your attitude to it too by the videos that you watch. Maybe that talk was a little low, too, 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 too low. 
It was inappropriate. I'm shocked today how some people let their children watch completely inappropriate things. Be careful. Because that's the tide of the world coming straight through our internet, our TV. And mums and dads, young people especially, you should be on this one. Be very careful how you monitor what comes into your home via Netflix, via um, uh, Hulu or whatever you're using. Be careful. Take an active interest, especially when they can watch it in their own bed at night and you don't even know what's going on. Be careful. Be informed. So, what we learn is really important to our values, and values come through loud and clear, unintentionally and intentionally. Isaiah 38 in the Living Bible says this, One generation, here's a relay happening, makes known your faithfulness to the next, passing the baton on. Your family is a relay of values, and you pass the baton to your children, and they will pass it on to your grandchildren. So here's a question to this one. What? would you like to pass on to your children, grandchildren, nephews and nieces? Think about that. Don't blow over that. I know many people. I spoke to one guy in the last week who spent seven weeks, seven days a week forecasting for his business. Now, I would suggest to you that most men and women don't spend seven hours thinking about their family forecast and their plan, where they want to end up. What's more important? Something to think about. Here's another question. Have you ever heard this line, which I loathe? Well, I'm not going to impose my spiritual thoughts on my children. I'm just going to let them decide for themselves. Well, there's a good theological word for that. Rubbish. (laughs) And the reason why, think about that. There's a reason. Anyone who says they will let their kids decide for themselves implies a lie. And that lie is this. God is an option. He's no option. He is the ultimate reality. Everything else will pass. He is the ultimate reality. Do not surrender on that. He's not. Now how do you say that? You have to be gentle with. But it's kind of like you are humbly forceful on that issue, is what I'm trying to say. If you're not teaching your family about God, you're making a major mistake that has eternal implications. I don't mind about letting them make mistakes about silly things, even if they burn themselves. I told you it was hot. Happy day. How did that work? Oh, I'm not doing that again, Dad. I once had a son. I'd warned him about that. I still have this son. (laughs) I kept my guns in the the safe. Calls me up, Dad, um, can you pick me up? Uh, Where are you? He said, mate, Papakura, what are you doing there? I'm I'm in the police station. Really? What are you doing there? Well, I was... I mean, I was just with a group of people and they got into trouble. They've been charged, but I haven't. They said, really? Well, I'm glad to you haven't been charged. Uh, can you come and pick me up, Dad? Mate, I'm sorry. You're going to have to walk home because I've got a whole bunch of other things on. I'm sorry you made that decision to go with this group into this place where they shouldn't have been. Now, I know that you haven't been charged, but you still were in the wrong place at the wrong time and I've got other things I need to get taken care of. So I'll see you when you get back. He had no shoes on. 
and he walked from Papakura to Girls Road. I can tell you this, because he could be listening to me right now on the internet. He never did that again, ever. And you keep well away from that. So, that's only a small implication. Not teaching about God is an enormous, an egregious error. If you're a parent, part of your job description is teaching values. Now, let me back that up, what I've just said with biblical scripture. Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 says this. These commands, and those are not suggestions, these commands, you impress them. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Now, why don't we do this anymore? One of the reasons, which is a deep concern to me, is we don't spend a lot of time doing life together. And we try to pass values as just bits of information rather than the life application of those values. So where are the kids getting values today? Mainly from the internet, TV, rather than God's word. So what's my response to this? What should I be thinking about at this point of this message? For me, for my grandchildren, for my future family, is what are my values What do I really value when the chips are down? Ask myself, what am I unintentionally teaching my kids about money? What am I unintentionally? Am I generous? Or do I spend it all on me? What am I teaching them about sex? Again, specifically related to what you watch. The kind of movies I voluntarily bring into my home, however you do that. What am I teaching them about character and perseverance and honesty and hard work and keeping the main thing the main thing or do I just let work rush over me and swamp me? And what am I teaching them about the importance of family and the ability to relax? That's another big one. They'll watch what you do. What am I unintentionally saying? And then measure that about what you'd like to actually say. Is that really what I want to teach them? Does it do, do, is what I'm doing match what I would really love to leave them? What do I want them to know? Here's another question. Well, I actually made a list of all the skills and character attributes I thought were really important for my kids. I thought, what, what do I want them to leave home with? Even down to how to sharpen, sharpen a chainsaw. <laughs> Just me. I mean, that was a, a very low value item, but it was still on the list. What? Because if I'm not intentionally, it won't happen, I found in my life. Maybe it's different in yours. What do I want them to leave? What sort of heritage do I want them to have? Generosity and thrift and industry and motivation. So in preparing a shelter from the storm, I demonstrate my love, but in preparing a learning centre for life, I need to evaluate my values today and say, what's really important What do I want them to catch? Number three, a family is a place to play. It's a format for fun, a haven for happiness, and a place to have a flipping good time. Excellent. Now that's missing in a lot of homes. Because a lot of homes get to the second point, it's a learning centre, and the father thinks that the learning centre is like a boot camp, and he's a drill sergeant. Where's this homework? Important, don't get me wrong. 
So, but he's like the guy in the sound of music before Julie Andrews got hold of him. He, you know, he used to blow the whistle and the kids all up. Do you remember that, that guy? The kids are marching and marching out. Ecclesiastes 9.9 says this, enjoy life with your wife. I like that. Whom you love. Proverbs 5.19 in the good news says, be happy with your wife and find your joy with a girl you married. Now you've seen those bumper stickers, the family that prays together stays together. But I want to suggest to you very strongly, very, very, very strongly, there's another corollary to that. And there's a family that plays together, stays together. The family that has fun. And so many homes, that's a basic problem. They just need to lighten up a bit. You know, it starts though with the parents lighten up and have fun with your kids. Relax and enjoy, man. You know what? I was, I was, Kimberly and I were roaring to tears were rolling down my cheeks the other day. I'm converting a whole bunch of VHSs, which is, if those of you don't know what they are, old videotapes into digital formats to store on my drobo. And oh my goodness, watching kids just do their life is inherently funny. You know, where can you get that kind of humour except in the home? So here's a question. Do you have fun with your kids? Do you enjoy your family? Now, if you don't have fun with your family now, don't be surprised when they grow up if they don't come back as often as you'd like and visit. Kids want to be where the fun is too. So what's my response? I ought to demonstrate my love. I ought to evaluate my values. I need to celebrate my family. In other words, enjoying the family that God gives you. Here it is, Psalm 127 verse 3. Children are a gift, a gift from God. They're His reward. Children are like sharp arrows. Happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. Ask Jeremy, he's doing well. Kids are only with you. Listen up. For a season. And it's scaring me. I've just had my last 21st. Two seconds ago, this little whippersnapper was in the hospital in Huntington Beach, California. Now he's 21. Probably going to get married sometime soon. Unbelievable. Now, kids are with you for a season. I know some of you feel like it seems eternity, but it'll be gone in a heartbeat. If you want some inspiration in that season, even grandparents, if you want some inspiration, pick up this book, Real Men Enjoy Their Kids. Write it down. Real Men Enjoy Their Kids by Mark Singer. Here it is, Abingdon Press. Some great practical ideas to put some spark and enjoyment in. I, I want a roadmap. Men normally want a roadmap. There's a roadmap in here to help you. So, Real Men Enjoy Their It's a great ideas. Anyway, number four. God meant family to be also a launch pad for ministry. Have you ever thought about your family as doing ministry together, a ministry team? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But it will unify your family and bring joy if you do some projects that serve God together. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 15 in the Living Bible. Stephanus and his family were the first to become Christians in Greece. And they are spending their lives helping and serving Christians everywhere. He was doing ministry. What a great goal to have as a ministry team to see a family or a small group as a launch pad for the kingdom of God. How do you do it? By helping and serving other believers. The ultimate basis for joining harmony in the family is in the next verse, 16, Acts 16.33. It says, The whole family was filled with joy 
because they'd come to believe in God. And that's the bottom line. When your family knows the Lord, loves the Lord, serves the Lord, it's a unifying factor. And joy comes when our family believes in Him. And the number one task that I have is to do the best that I can to ensure my kids grow up. Now, they've all got their own choice. They all have their own choice. But for my job is to help them to learn to know more about God and Jesus Christ specifically and to pray for them constantly. Pray for them. If your family is already Christians, what... A practical ministry project you can do together is a good example. I mean, just even last night, outstanding bright party. Two teenage girls who are in the middle of exams took initiative to reach out to this school and to this community and pull that off with stunning, knock the ball out of the park. Unbelievably good. A great outreach event to the community. And it turned into a ministry team. They gather people around them. And this is growing leaders. They are learning how to lead, to move the kingdom of God forward. Another practical family project, something a little simpler, is simply hospitality. Have somebody over for dinner. The Bible says in Romans 12, 13, when God's children are in need, help them out. Get into, get into the habit of inviting guests home for dinner or if they need lodging for the night. This used to be so common in churches. People invited people over and people were always going to other people's homes. And hospitality has become a lost art in this world because everybody's going at max 66. And I would say that the starting point of that is to dedicate your home to God. If you dedicated your life to God, if you're a believer, then I challenge you to take the next step and dedicate your home to God. Maybe it will be the site of a new Bible study, a small group. Maybe inviting people over. In fact, here's a, a good question for you. On the side of your outline there, I want to encourage you to do a noughts and crosses. Just do that now, if you wouldn't mind. This is completely unplanned and off the top of my head, but it's been burning in my heart for months. Noughts and crosses. Make them reasonably big. And I want to put, put Y in the middle square. Okay? In the middle square. Y. That's you. You. Now, because hospitality is important, I want you to think now of where you live. And around you, there's probably at least eight neighbours. How many of those can you put their first name in? Just put all the initials around your home. Well, how about the guy right next door? What's his name or his wife's name? Does he have children? How many of them are? See, here you go. These are the people God knew you were going to be living next door to. And his question, no cheating over there. I saw that. And the question is, why, did I, why, did, why are you placed there? Are you placed there to just to consume the power, watch the TV and the internet? Or are we meant to be there for a strategic purpose? How many have you got? Three. Or more. That's impressive, guys. I'm comparing this to what I did in the, in the US. How about four? Keep your hands up. Four. Five? We're getting a bit thin now. Six? 
Okay, seven. Oh my goodness, eight. Okay, that, let's give these three a hand, eh? That's awesome. The point is, for one minute, think about those neighbours. They are there for a reason. We'll look at that some other day, but I want to deposit that thought in your mind. Dedicate your home to God. We barely scratched the surface today on what God's plan is for the family. There are no perfect families because there are no perfect people. So let me be clear about that. In my family, I have two that are going gangbusters for Jesus Christ. I have two that are various stages of going in the right direction now, although they've wobbled up and down. Sometimes they believe, sometimes they're not sure they do believe. But they're heading in the right direction. And the key is, even though that we don't see eye to eye on everything, we still have a great relationship. And that is the key. Try not to get into tiebreakers over this. Do not do it. That's very counterproductive. So, there are no perfect families, no perfect churches. By the way, if you ever find a perfect church, please don't join it, because then it won't be perfect anymore, huh? (laughs) My suggestion is that every family in this room, including my own, needs to be strengthened. What about singles, or never married, or widowed, or formerly married? A couple of things to say to you. Number one, do not discount or ignore the relatives that you have. Brothers or sisters, mothers, fathers, whoever might be alive at this point, don't ignore that family. Second, realise as Christians that you are part of a large family, which in Galatians 6.10 is referred to as the church. And the church is called the family of believers. This is just a larger family, a larger expression of what should be going on in our smaller family. Commit yourself to a local church family and engage. So many of the characteristics that God said to do in the natural family, we were also to do in the church. Think about this. Here it is. I'm going to wrap it up. Let me say it again. Many of the characteristics God said to do in the natural nuclear family, He said we're to do in the church family. The church is to be, one, a shelter from the storm. Two, it needs to be a learning centre for life. Three, a place where you have fun and fellowship. And four, a launch pad for ministry. If you don't have a natural family in the proximity of where you live, make this your family. Would you bow your heads with me? And let's pray. You know, today I've taken this time and I would want to encourage you to evaluate the strength of your family. Maybe ask God to help you redirect some of your energies. Ask yourself, what kind of shelter is my family? When the people in my family are having a tough time, am I an encourager or a discourager? Do I offer some protection? A little protection or a whole bunch of acceptance to nullify the rejection? or the failures, or the problems that come in life. Would you say today, God, help me to demonstrate love in my family this week. Help me to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And then just in the quietness of this moment, ask yourself, what are your kids learning in your home? Or what would your husband or wife say is most important to you?
What do your kids say is most important to you? Is God or his family anywhere in that equation? Would it be clear, crystal clear? What character qualities are you unintentionally teaching about what's important? About money? About work? About relaxation and play? About sex? About God and the priority He needs to be in our lives? Would you say to God today, Help me to evaluate my values by the light of your spirit. Then ask yourself, is my family fun? You only have your kids for such a short season. And even after they're gone, you still ought to be having fun with whoever's there. Would you say, Father, help me this week to celebrate my family and to lighten up And plan something fun together. Would you dedicate your home to God? And something to refocus on. Are you praying consistently for your family members and the salvation of them? That they may know the joy and the security and the strength of knowing Jesus Christ. That we may spend eternity together in heaven. Make that a priority. And if all your family know the Lord and they commit your family to becoming a launch pad for ministry, something that you can involve your family in and they can be part of that would make the world a better place because your family is here. Father, thank you for the light of your word. We commit our lives to you, but we also commit our families to you. And I pray that New Hope may be a place where we build strong families and successful lives based on your everlasting and inerrant word in the precious name of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And everybody said, Amen.